0: The sky it's not just a call. It's a warning. be long before you've nothing left. I don't care what happens to me. It's only gonna get worse for you.
1: Go! Take it easy, sweetheart. You hear everything they say? Ain't you. Maybe we're not so different. Who are you under there? intentions. back to the film 89 podcast i'm
0: sky hey podcasts coming from the old new three king studios i'm sorry if i've ever been echoey it's your old pal neil gaskin
1: and tonight we'll be giving you our in-depth and spoiler-filled review of matt reeves's new big screen iteration of one of the comic book world's most famous characters batman or in this case the batman Starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Colin Farrell, Jeffrey Wright, Paul Dano, Andy Serkis and more besides. Now, this most recent trip to the cinema, Neil, was the first time that you and I have actually seen each other in the flesh since episode 44, which was March of 2020. I know, it's been mad, hasn't it? Yeah, we recorded face-to-face nearly two years ago and a few days before the first UK lockdown.
0: It was actually the day before... We were due to go and see Sir William Shatner oh. live and in person, wasn't it? Yeah, with Bill Scurry, who was coming over from Amsterdam. And it's quite, it's quite strange, you know. We sort of adopted a modern world because I was thinking, about, I was driving to the cinema. God, I haven't seen this guy for ages. Yeah. But then when you when you said that, I was like, it really is that long. Mm-hmm. But obviously, we you know, we talk on, we you know, we sort of like you know WhatsApp and yeah, you know, yeah, we, the, we converse this, daily. But do the sessions like this, like, but um, yeah, it yeah, was actually face to face. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're actually complete bullshitters, aren't we? Because we have seen each other since that, because we went to watch, what was it called? Uh, the Nolan film. <laughs> we did! <laughs> we had, what am I talking about? We, we had, went to see... We went to see... <laughs> we had a 20-minute conversation about we hadn't seen each other for two years last night. So how
1: long <laughs> is it then, actually?
0: I don't know, it's probably about six weeks. So we're, <laughs> No, it's, got, it's, it's probably it's a, what is it, about 12 months. What? I don't I know. When,
1: when did Tenet what? come out? That, that was, was 2020, months? wasn't
0: it? And then it was never lockdown, wasn't it? That's the thing. We're getting to oh, I don't know. It was well, 2020. 20,
1: 2020, yeah. So we haven't seen each other then, possibly, since August 2020 or thereabouts.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Okay. It so was still-
0: September 4th, 2020. There we are.
1: Early September 2020 is when we last actually think we saw each other, but it could have
0: been since then. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I, I saw you last week, really. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, it's quite it's quite strange, isn't it? Like you say, um, until you pointed it out yesterday, I was like, yeah, it has been that long.
1: Yeah, it has, it has. I, you know, I, 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 I just happen to see Rich quite, you know, frequently because our, our children go to the same swimming classes each week. And unfortunately, I see Jim Cottle quite frequently. Jim and I are in the same therapy group. Yeah, right, okay.
0: Can I just say as well, Sky? I'm, I'm sorry for the late arrival tonight as well. I know we could have been recorded a little bit earlier. But some days, you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, our, our hardcore Bat fans out there will get that reference. Talking about, man, you, you and I... Well, some time ago now. Um, Was it maybe 2018? Who knows, it could have been been 2019.
0: Could have been last week. Could have been last week.
1: (laughs) You and I have recorded an audio comedy for Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, and those who've listened to it will know that we're both big fans of Batman. So going into this, Neil, what were your expectations, and how geared up were you after all the various delays due to COVID and the subsequent hype and controversy regarding certain casting choices of Matt Reeves' film The Batman?
0: Like you say, I, I think with the Nolan films, the Nolan is, you know, in particularly Dark Knight, you know, we, we've got a s- sort of strong affinity. We've both got a sort of shared admiration of those films. But I mean, Batman as a character, anyway, I think, like you say, is very close to us anyway. Um, I know uh, the Ben Affleck sort of iteration, the sort of Batfleck, if you like, that came in for a lot of stick. Being completely honest, at no point have I ever thought he's a bad choice for Batman. I think he's been in some bad films. Hmm. I've always thought that he was a good choice for Batman. Yeah, agreed, yeah. And the same, when Patterson was announced, everyone was sort of going on like, oh, he's going to be the twinkly you know, vampire Batman, you know, in his twilight and all this. And it was like we were saying last night when we saw um, a trailer for the new Firestar, the remake, with Zach Efron it Yeah. Everyone sort of comes down hard on, oh, you know, Zach Efron. And it's like, he was in high school musical like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, was, give him a break. And it's much the same with Patterson, I mean, this sort of body of work, if you take out the lighthouse, but the body of work he's done since really, he doesn't deserve the flack he gets. He doesn't, it, no. He did he did seem a strange choice. But then when I felt that you know this was going to be a sort of year or two Batman, and again with Matt Reeves, I mean just the apes films alone, you know, I had enough confidence that he could make a sort of competent Batman film anyway. So I wasn't that down, but I wasn't that sort of hyped. Hmm. And I'd say it's probably only the last six months with the sort of recent trailers that have dropped that I've started thinking. They might have something here. This might be this might be uh, a bit of a surprise package for us, you know? Yeah, now, Matt
1: Reeves directed Cloverfield. Cloverfield is a film that we've never spoken about on the podcast before. And it's one of those films that I know a lot of people... Uh, because it's part of that, that found footage, footage sort yeah. of thing, yeah. you know, He gets a lot of credit for his Apes films, and they are pretty good, to say the least. But I've got to say, from a personal point of view
0: cloverfield is one of my favorite films from like the last 20 years definitely 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 um again with cloverfield like i remember thinking oh you know quite fancy that and then you sort of raving about it and i wasn't left down at all with cloverfield yeah. I gotta
1: be honest. it's one of those films that i didn't really appreciate until i watched it again on on blu-ray and then i watched it again and it's just there's something about that film about the fact that about the new york vibe that it catches. And then the fact that it's got this sense of realism to it that I bought hook, line and sinker. And I just thought it was an absolutely tremendous film. So from my point of view, I went into this in, in the last few kind of weeks leading up to it, really looking forward to it because initially when it was announced as to who was going to be playing Batman and, and various other casting choices. And e- even the first trailer, I was not impressed. I know that Richie wasn't as, as you know, and, yeah. I think we were just, I certainly was saying, do we need another iteration of Batman when we've literally, just last year, you know, we've recorded an episode on Zack Snyder's Batman. Sorry, Zack Snyder's Justice League, you know, the the Snyder Cut. Yeah. We were quite happy with that version of Batman and wanted to see more of him. We we were pretty much mostly happy with Christian Bale's portrayal of, of Batman in the Nolan trilogy, which only ended in 2012. And it was 10 years ago, but in the lifetime of, of cinema and franchises, it's not really that long ago because those films are so beloved that they're still spoken about today. And to be having an, another version of...
0: Yeah, that's the other thing with that, with the Nolan films. Although you can knock the Nolan films for certain aspects. Yeah. They they are stand out in the comic book genre for me. Yeah,
1: and I think for a lot of people, they are the the, the benchmark, you know, alongside the, you know, the Burton Batman film from nineteen eighty nine and, and Batman Returns, which you know a lot of people will say is their favourite Batman film. I, I think I've mentioned it before. I when Batman 1989 first came out, I completely was all for that film. I thought it was fantastic, but watching it with adult eyes. It's it doesn't do it for me, and I've got you know I've got I've got problems with the film, and I'll be honest, from day one back in nineteen ninety two when I first saw Batman Returns, I never liked it. I re and I I've always had uh, to say I've had problems with the film is me being really diplomatic. But again, I'm not going to bash anyone for liking those films. And great, you know, more power to you. But for me, I I just don't get on with them anymore. I find them too camp and.
0: Yeah, it's quite strange when you think about it, especially when 89 came out. I mean, this, me, me,
1: me, me me saying, Neil, right, that I find Batman camp, one of my favourite iterations of Batman is the Adam West Batman, and that is the absolute oh, well, epitome without of, shadow of camp. Of
0: without a shadow of a doubt.
1: But that, those, that TV show knows what it is. It's very tongue-in-cheek, and it, believe it or not, it was actually my introduction to Batman in the first place. I grew up with that show, as, you, as did you. You know? Oh, yeah, he was, definitely, yeah. It was, was, was shown on... Summer, Summer holiday TV, yeah, wasn't it? and UK, UK, UK Saturday morning TV yeah. it was it was on you know, there was an episode aired every day, and I, I grew up on that show and I loved it.
0: I think that was anyone in our sort of age group, yeah, that's their sort of gateway, I would say, really, to superheroes because, yeah, I mean, you had the, the Spider Man short lived TV series, you know, of course, The Incredible Hulk, yeah, but other than that, I can't really think of that much superhero wise that was on TV, and like we say. The amount that Batman was because it was like shown on ITV over here on the ITV network, wasn't it? And it was just like you say, it was a daily thing. It was on every, it was on every weekend, but especially during the summer holidays. Yeah, it was on TV every morning, wasn't it? You know, it was um, you were guaranteed you could yeah. watch Batman. And then having as a grown-up reappraised the Burton Batman films and not getting on with it, which was like a slap in the face of gritty realism. I I just fell for it. Yeah, I was saying it's quite strange when you think because I'm mean, saying this mentioned every time. Well, funny enough, I was joking about when you last night when I. Every five years, it seems to be that someone brings out a darker, more gritty, grounded version Mm. of Batman. It's quite strange to think that that's how how Burton's film was initially sold, wasn't it? You know, I mean, they actually created the 12A rated over here, didn't they, for that film? They did, yeah. Because there was was no way that could be a PG. No, that's right. And it was at the time, I think, uh, Dalton's second Bond, License to Kill, was the first ever 15 rated Bond. And they obviously sort of, you know just destroyed this box office the british film association wanted they actually um created a rating the 12 rating just so batman could be yeah the, yeah it was it, it was like um
1: it was like how temple of doom became it was the i think it wasn't temple of doom the first or, or one of the i think that was the film that triggered the mpa in america to come up yeah. with the, the pg13 rating and i think the actual first pg13 rated film i think was red dawn
0: quite ironic nowadays <laughs>
1: yeah and and then in eighty nine, the same thing happened in the UK. Batman was the first yeah. twelve rated film, wasn't
0: it? I mean there's there's sort of darker takes to it. I mean, yeah, I mean the Joker is if you compare sort of Nicholson's Joker to sort of Caesar Romero, I mean, yeah, you can see there's a darker take there. And it's you know, particularly in Batman yeah. Returns, I mean, the penguin, uh DeVito's penguin, I mean, he's grotesque. You know, he, he and and very creepy and lechy and you know, biting people's noses off and mm. stuff like that. So I can understand that sort of dark take, but like you say, when you look back on him now, then he's just a hint of, I don't know if it's just a timeless passed—but but it is just a hint of campiness to him for me. Definitely.
1: Yeah. And I know a lot of people, and I'm not saying that those people who are my age and part and our generation who still love those films are looking at things through rose tinted glasses with a, a sort of degree of nostalgia they can't get away from. But I think it's because it was such a long period of time in my life where I didn't watch those films, that when I went back to them, it was like I was watching them afresh and they just, they really didn't do it for me. Even the even the original, it was just too much silliness and campiness, but masquerading as this sort of dark, brooding, gothic film. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm not seeing that. I'm not getting that from this film. I'm getting joker pulling a, th- a revolver with a three foot long barrel out of his trousers and i'm thinking yeah. oh seriously and by that point i had i'll be honest i had developed a strong disdain maybe an irrational disdain for tim burton but then i don't know maybe when you look at some of his later films like uh, alice in wonderland and the you know the, the, the willy wonka film no 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 that, that really sort of pushed me over the edge but let, let's go back to this film the batman as I already have got a good grasp, Neil, I think, on how you feel about this film coming out of it, as I watched it with you, what things about The Batman did you
0: like? Straight away, I like the, the cinematography, I think, is beautifully done. Uh, I think it's a well-directed film. Uh, I think it's a well-written film. I think, on the whole, it's a strong cast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, positive-wise, I I like the fact that, like I say, the running joke of it's a more grittier version of Batman. This basically was a much more grittier version of Batman. I mean, this reminded me of more like the animated series, really, where he was really just pounding people's faces in and stuff like that. But I think... I'm just going to lay my cards on the table straight away. Uh, just The editing of this film is something that needed to be addressed. This film is far too long (laughs) for what it should be. Far too dragged out for what it should be, and I'm going to be completely honest. Like I said to you, it's a little bit self-indulgent. To me, it reminds me of almost like a sort of director's cut special edition. Yeah, like like I said, I, just, I don't feel like I've seen the theatrical version of this film mm. yet. I listen. I'm all for longer films. Yeah, like I've said to you before, with the sort of um, you know Justice League cut down to under two hours so they could get more show-ins and stuff like that. To me, that's if, if you've got a three-hour film, then release a three-hour film. Yeah. I don't know if this was a three-hour film, if I'm completely honest. I think the running time on this film could be easily shaved off 30 minutes. And at a push, I think you could shave almost 45 minutes to an hour off. I, I think, though, it's it felt like it was something that should have been
1: cut down in the script stage of things as opposed to... I, I can't think of like actual scenes where I thought right, that whole plot point or whatever could go.
0: No, no, I agree. But it's just like that scene was seven minutes long and it could have been four minutes yeah, long. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
1: I think little bits here and there and it, it could have been trimmed down to a much more manageable running time. But going back to one of the things you said about what you loved, which I absolutely genuinely loved, was the look of Gotham. I thought that the level of production design and the overall look of Gotham City was probably as good as we've ever seen before. And for me, it was just the right mix of, of real world, big city architecture and just enough of a dark kind of Gothic feel. All helped along nicely by, i got to say, some pretty amazing cinematography by Greg Frazier. Who was the director of photography on Rogue One? Arguably, for me, one of the most gorgeous-looking films I've seen in recent years. Doom, of which I'll happily say the same. And The Mandalorian. They were parts of the film that very much looked like Seven. Now, there was I think there was a lot of definitely a lot of homage into David Fincher's film here.
0: Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I think if you looked at if you looked at Seven, uh, Joker. You know, a little bit it's a taxi driver as well. Yeah, though, to be yeah. We yeah. don't know who plays in the Joker, but yeah. it had that sort of gr- gritty, sort of late seventies New York vibe. Like, yeah, you know, like that the-
1: New York, which was basically just like decaying and falling apart. Yeah, and- French Connection sort of grime. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it did. And
0: which I love, you know. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: but there was a lot of those kind of like almost Times Square s kind of shots, which I was looking at them thinking. Is this a combination model work, CGI, or is it an actual city that they've? I, I'm trying to tie this into a real world location because it looked so good and looked so convincing. Some of those establishing wide shots of cities, they I couldn't tell where the seams were with any sort of CGI or effect enhancement. I thought that this is, this is totally selling to me a city. Whereas something that we did bring up in our you know analysis of the, of the Dark Knight films, I think it's something me and Hayden spoke when we did the episode on the trilogy as a whole, is the fact that. Nolan chose to use different cities for each film like he used Manhattan I think for for one of the films and and Chicago for another
0: Chicago was Dark Knight I know Chicago was Dark Knight and
1: it, 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 it it gave a feeling of like different cities patched together and if you're going to be using Manhattan as Gotham well historically manhattan's always been metropolis and chicago has always kind of been gotham so i think this film is, is a lot more kind of continuity of the visual style I, I really thought that it it didn't look like any city that i could identify or you know, any sort of real world city
0: yeah i was gonna say it sort of occurred to me in the sort of opening sort of like 10-15 minutes yeah i was like is this set in a joker universe you know, or it hasn't been made a big thing of prior to release, but are we going to get a sort of short cameo of Joaquin Phoenix or something? Because it actually looked the same sort of Gotham that we'd seen in Joker. Yeah,
1: no, Joker was set in 1980, so
0: this yeah. would have been, as far as I can tell. There was nothing in the previews to suggest, although we were, although we were assuming it was modern day Batman or modern yeah. day Gotham, there was nothing in the previews that if they sort of thrown us a curveball and all of a sudden someone had said, you know, it's 1983 or whatever. I'd have bought it, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right, dude. You know, there's nothing obviously tells you that the technology is, is from 2021 or whatever, but looking at it and looking... I think it was the gravestone at the end. Right? We're jumping ahead, but there was a gravestone which showed that Selena Carl's mum died in 2004. Yeah. Which th- that would tie in with this being set in 2021 or 2022, in which case that's set some 30 or 40-plus years after the events of, of, of Joker. But it does look like that same city decades later yeah and you know I, I i thought the look of the film and it there was there was a continuity between the look of the film as well you, you go back to batman begins and when you've got the narrows as it's called it just didn't look like the same part of gotham that we'd seen no it, no. it, it, it looked like a shanty town in the middle of this sprawling metropolis and it just didn't fit and that that's, that's just you know one niggling sort of visual sort of thing in the film that just stood out to me but this film the look of it and the continuity of the visuals and 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 like the, the the geography of the city just totally worked for me. I was just completely immersed by it. And I thought it looked absolutely outstanding.
0: Oh, it definitely, it definitely fits in with like so sort of like I say with Todd Phillips's Gotham. Yeah, yeah. like we say, it could be Todd Phillips' Gotham 25, 30 years later, kind of easily. Certainly, yeah,
1: yeah. And some of the action I think was very well handled. The, the the fight choreography was on point and it was easy to follow. Importantly, and that car chase. With Batman pursuing the Penguin is something that we've seen in the trailer in his, his souped-up muscle cart, that was pretty jaw-dropping and it seemed to rely on lots of practical stunts and barely any recognisable CG enhancements which which I could identify and I, I think that's something something that you really got to applaud and it, it looked as if there was a lot of car-mounted cameras being put certainly on the you know on the on the Penguins I think it was a Maserati
0: yeah well, well you yeah, know so for the second podcast in a row now with me and you as well, we're going to mention Grand Prix. But it was very similar in that sort of yeah. aspect as well. Like you see yeah. the sort of wing, wing-mounted wing cameras and stuff yeah. like that to sort of give that feeling as if you were sat in a passenger seat. Yeah, CPU.
1: and I don't know about you, Neil, but at no point did I feel as if I was watching a car chase that was enhanced by CGA. To me, it seemed very much like as if it was all filmed practically.
0: Yeah, it, it did. I mean, we probably look like a complete idiot when the making of comes out. But but yeah, like you say, the actual visual effect looked yeah. as if it was done practically, and I'm all for that, especially... With something like a car chase, obviously we're, we're both massive Smokey dependent the Bandit fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you can do it in the 70s, yeah. you can do it in 2022, you know. <laughs> but let, let's go back, Neil, seven years, right, to Mad Max Fury Road and George
1: Miller. He filmed a hell of a lot of that film practically and he enhanced it with CG. So he used CG to make practical effect look bigger and grander yeah like you know he would he would have tom hardy strapped to the front front of a car he'd be shooting that from behind hardy's head and then in the far background then you'd have this huge dust storm which was all cg but it's a mixture of practical and cg and it's using each of those types of effects
0: you know to their best use and it's like we've said before isn't it these these things should complement each other i mean yeah you know, you know we're if you, if talking about car chases, you can look at some of the earlier Fast and Furious films, and regardless of what you think of them, the stunt working and the stunt driving is phenomenal. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And then there's yeah. other bits like in the later films where cars are being propelled off jets and, you know, <laughs> you know flying to the moon and stuff. And, it's, yeah. and you've just lost it. And like I say, we grew up watching, you know, Smoking the Bandit, watching Convoy and, you know, films mm-hmm. like that. You know that I'm not gonna say it's easy, but mm. it's basic stunt work. If, yeah. you know and there's there's literally thousands of people out there who can do that. Yeah. And you know, if you if you're shooting a film, really speaking, like you say, the only time you should be bringing CG in is background stuff. Yeah, that's right. Stuff which if, if you've got stunt drivers
1: doing stuff in the foreground and you want stuff in the background that's not gonna be picked up by the human eye as being CG then yeah, chuck it in. But yeah, I think for the whole I think the action in the film holds up, and go, let's you know let's go back to the fighting. You've got that close quarters choreography in the first of Nolan's films, which I think a lot of people picked up on. That was kind of like, yeah, it's a bit too fast, it's a bit too choppy, the camera's too close to the action. I can't really tell what's going on, and it seemed then as if in The Dark Knight he learned from that criticism, credit to him, and actually corrected that. And a lot of the fighting in the second film man, is a lot more kind of one take or longer takes where there's less cutting and there's a better kind of continuity of the action I thought that's something of this film absolutely nailed
0: yeah I was going to say because with Nolan's film what do you use He use a mixer. I think it's called kaizi or kaizi the, the, the kung fu where you find mm-hmm. everything close quarter yeah and I think they, they filmed it, the the first film, basically that, you know, Batman couldn't move that well. Yeah. So he'd have to fight, you know, and he'd sort of keep his, you know, cup his hands up around his ears, if you like, because you yeah. would fight close quarters because he was so well protected with body armor. It wouldn't matter if you got it with body shots, which is practical, but like you say, it doesn't look great. No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah Yeah, Casey, Casey it is. I'm, I'm sure it's, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's pronounced Casey. Yeah. I can remember years ago researching it. But, um, yeah, like you say, with the second film then they sort of made the thing of he could turn his head a bit more mm. and they sort of played into that and sort of added that to the fighting style. But i got to say, with Patterson's fighting style in this, a lot of it was straightforward Western boxing techniques. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Which look, it looked great. i got to be honest, it looked really well. And I, I don't know whether Patterson's a bit of a troll or whatever like that, but of course we'd had all the sort of, like, the hoo-ha before of I'm not getting in shape to play Batman, I'm not doing any specific training to play Batman and stuff like that. You know, you could tell that a lot of hours have been put in there. Yeah. Course. Although you know, although it well well could have been a stuntman, obviously, but whoever was doing that, you know, was yeah. well trained in what they oh, were yeah, doing. Oh,
1: yeah, I agree. Yeah, right. And before we move on to things which may be kind of kind of veering off the the the, the positive points, right? Zoe Kravitz's turn as Selena Kyle, aka Catwoman. What did you think of her?
0: I've got to be honest. I'm not aware of her work beforehand. Um, I'd seen a few sort of like internet articles about how she was the wrong choice and stuff like that. She wasn't a standout sort of catwoman. I mean, I know everyone goes up on Michelle Pfeiffer and stuff like that. I don't think Kravitz is going to be remembered in that regard, but I thought she did a really good job. Hmm, yeah. And, you know, all the, you know, all the people out there saying about race swapping and stuff like that, about, you know, well... <laughs> Eartha Kitt was playing Catwoman in the sixties,
1: mate. Have a word yes, no,
0: exactly. I was thinking about this last
1: week before I even saw the film, and I'd heard about people saying, oh, well, you know, it, it, it it's kind of, it's a bit of a sort of like, you know, pandering gender swaps." So like, no, 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 go back to sixties Batman. Eartha Kit yeah. played Catwoman. Well, and we had
0: Halle Berry as well. I mean, not a great film. not a great film, but you know, bad film still. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: But yeah. Earth Eartha Kitt there is the sort of. The the sort of argument to shove in the face of idiots who tried to say that, you know, the the, the race swapping element is some sort of twenty twenty-two sort of pandering. I, I don't agree with that, I don't buy that at all. And I gotta say I think she was fine. And I will take her, and I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this, but I'll take her over the over the top camp theatricality of Tim Burton's version any day of the week. And I'm saying Tim Burton's version, because I am not laying any of the blame at the foot of Michelle Pfeiffer for that performance. I'm putting it in the at the feet of Tim Burton. Right. I also thought that I thought that Jeffrey Wright and Andy Serkis were both fine as Jim Gordon and Alfred Pennyworth. And of Jeffrey, the two, Jeffrey
0: Wright. I tell you, what, he must have the best agent in the world. Yeah. Because he's doing he's doing Marvel. Yeah. He's doing DC. He's doing Bond. I would say. <laughs> Literally, of, like. You know, <laughs> I'd say of the two,
1: and I'm a huge Andy Serkis fan, but I'd say of the two, I think the stronger performance, and certainly the one that I'll remember most from this film, is Jeffrey Wright's.
0: Definitely. And again, without a shadow of a doubt, with that, there was not one part of that, and I'm not just saying it to try and, you know, be like Mr. Cool Guy on the podcast. There was not one point of that when I thought, well, he's not Commissioner Gordon. No,
1: no. And I certainly think, I, I, I think we've seen maybe equal portrayals of both characters. In fact, I think we've seen better portrayals of Alfred, I'll be honest.
0: Yeah, well, Circus seems a bit of a strange choice because he's not... I always associate Alfred with being a very... El- I, I know he's older than Patterson. Yeah, no, yeah. I always assume him being sort of like 30, 40 years older than Batman.
1: And I don't think Circus is old enough.
0: Yeah, he's a little bit young for that. And again, in fairness, I don't think Circus was given a fair shake role anyway. He was in it very sparingly. He's probably... If he had 10 minutes screen time, I'm probably being generous. Right, it's a three-hour film, and we barely saw yeah. it. You know,
1: I was, one of the things I was thinking of earlier: there's that turning point in the film where I actually thought that when we see the explosion and we see that, you know, pretty good build-up, and then we see, you know, we actually see Batman emoting and 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 becoming desperate when he's, he's driving back to Wayne Towers or whatever you want to call it, and he knows that something really bad's going to happen. And I like the build-up to that, but I actually thought. It actually show some balls here now. If they actually killed him off, yeah,
0: I was—I I know it sounds um, a bit down on circus. I guess it's not at all his performance. But I was actually thinking, mm. oh great, they're gonna kill—they're gonna kill Alfred off, you know. Right. And it's like gonna be a completely deep direction. because that's the one constant that Bat- any version of Batman's ever got is yeah. Alfred, isn't it? And like you say, as much as as much as Batfleck came in for the criticism. You know, the Jeremy Irons version of Alfred I absolutely thought was brilliant. Uh, Michael Caden's Alfred brilliant. But, like, that's the one constant you've always got. He's his anchor, isn't he? You know, I thought, well, it'd be interesting to see a younger Batman now trying to find his way without
1: Alfred. Yeah, without Alfred. Agreed, 100%. One of the biggest things for me, or or, certainly one of the things that seemed for the most part to hold together... Was the plot now one of my biggest criticisms of Nolan's trilogy? As much as it's a trilogy I love, but the frequency of nonsensical plot elements, which were either totally illogical, lazily written, or a combination of both. And as we were watching this film, Neil, I was actively aware of the fact that the Riddler's grand scheme didn't take the same leaps
0: leaps of logic. Save for one in the last act, which I'll come to. I was going to say, apart from one. Glaring admission. Yeah. yeah, he was definitely unhinged. I mean, I know I've seen some stuff on the internet today now about oh, he's like a internet troll and he's an incel and you know he's you know he's yeah. the sort of like the the angry the angry white guy in his basement type thing and stuff like that. I don't buy any of that for a second. I just took it in that he was an unhinged individual, basically. Much like Whacking Phoenix and Joker, yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, yeah, I don't think I don't think anything else played into it other than the fact that I think he obviously had some mental health problems.
1: Yeah, in fact, I think Whacking Phoenix and Joker was far more ident- not identifiable, but far more pitiful in the fact that his was circumstantial, and the fact that he had this terrible upbringing, yeah, terrible childhood, and a terrible life. Whereas, I don't think we're given that sort of
0: depth of with Paul. Danos character. We, we sort of get the sort of throwaway, or oh, he was raised in poverty as an orphan. Yeah. We don't get anything, you know. Which, you know, in itself is horrible. I'm not making light of that. And anyone's listening to that who's, who's grown up in those circumstances, and my heart goes out to. But it does. It doesn't yeah. mean that you instantly become a bad person or instantly become unhinged when you're an adult you know people people who come from some of the worst beginnings have the best endings don't they yeah
1: Yeah, and I think I think to automatically assume that someone comes from you know a a sort of lower than working class like sort of a poverty background and then that automatically qualifies them to turn into a psychopath I think there's a little bit of irresponsible storytelling I don't buy it I would have liked to have a lot more yeah and it it, you're either going to go one of two ways with it either don't give us any backstory so everything is left to the imagination, which was the best thing they did with Heath Ledger's Joker. One of the
0: greatest elements I've ever seen in a film, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and we've all got our own made-up sort of versions as to what the actual backstory of Heath Ledger's Joker is because we are given nothing. It's like that cop says, he says all he had on him was a couple of knives, a potato peeler, and pocket lint. Nothing. We know nothing about him, and that is just superb but with this if you're gonna tell us something about him at least give us enough to justify why he ends up being this total murder psychopath that he is
0: yeah, it did seem to be lacking. And, uh, you know, there was, there was a slight sort of, um, like we're about homages and stuff like that. It, it was like as if they just thought, right, the John Doe character from Seven, we're going we're oh. to do that. You know, he's going to show... Yeah. Because he, he showed up once or twice in the background, in much the same as Spacey did, you know, uh, as the paparazzi in the Seven. Yeah. You know, he allowed himself to get caught much the same. as, And I know, yeah. obviously, they were taking the all sort of... Um, bits from the zodiac killer as well and again when yeah. i saw that in the press prior to this i thought that's a really good idea you know to use saying grounded in sort of like a comparison if you like and there were elements to it like you know that worked very well in that respect but like you say you need to have that payoff and i never really felt i got that payoff for this character i
1: agree if, if we're going to stay on him now, then... Last last week, as you know, Neil, I rewatched watched uh, There Will Be Blood. It's a film I've not seen since it first come out. It's a film that's got a, a big fan base. A lot of people just love it. It, it, it actually made me realise how far behind I've fallen... ...with Paul Thomas Anderson's output. Yeah. But it's a film that I did see upon its initial release... ...and I just never got on with it. And it's one of those ones where I thought, you know what? There is a fair chance that when I go back and revisit this i'm gonna see the error of my ways and i'm i'm really gonna like sort of see it in a different light and i gotta be honest with you i didn't because i found daniel day lewis's character difficult to relate to and i just didn't like paul dano in that film and a lot of his sort of shouty sermons which he does because obviously he plays a a preacher when i see him doing the same thing in this film i'm thinking Really, Paul. It, you know, you're giving us that kind of shtick again, and it just
0: did nothing for me. He does he does creepy very well? I mean, he was good in Prisoners with Hugh Jackman, and and I, I know he's tried to do quirky. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen you've ever seen Swiss Army Man with no. uh, Daniel Radcliffe playing the corpse? No. <laughs> he does he does quirky quite well uh, when he's playing against a, a sort of dead yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. To me, I well, I said to you last night, he's just one of those quirky guys. Hmm. And I get the impression that if he had a bit more charisma, he could be Jared Leto. But I yeah. <laughs> I just, <laughs> yeah. I just never really take to him in anything.
1: I think nearly a specific quote was, "He's like as if he's like Jared Leto, but less pretentious." <laughs>
0: yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, perfect. Yeah,
0: it's like he just turns up in weird sort of films, and you know, like I say, he's just sort of made—I um, don't know—a sort of career out of being the quirky sort of weird guy. Yeah, you know, and yeah. again, I go, you know, if he's gonna play a serial killer, he's probably a brilliant choice because of that. But yeah, I, again, I just didn't feel as if he was given enough time, no, you know, with the mask off, if you like. I mean, that's right, yeah. Conversely, it doesn't always have to be the case. I mean, you've got to a really high standard here, but if you're looking at Heath Ledger, I knew nothing about that character, and yet I was enthralled by it exactly. And with this yeah. character, I was kind of like, well, I need to know stuff now because. <laughs> You know, why are you actually doing this? Yeah. You know, and I know there's a sort of ambiguity and that's kinda cool sometimes, like you say, like, you know, with Ledger, with John Doe, Mm. where you just never really find out other than the fact that they're just a mentalist. You know, but (laughs) but
1: I think when you when it comes to the end and when you blow the lid off him, you actually name his character, you give us an insight into his background or whatever, if you're gonna take away the mystery of that, then you've got to back it up with having an interesting enough character. I just don't think I think for the most part. And credit to people who can talk about this film. comparisons comparisons to previous Batman iterations. But it, it's going to happen. And everything. I think when you're talking about Batman villains. Is going to be held in comparison. To Heath Ledger's Joker. And you could argue that that's an unfair comparison. But it's one I can't help but make. Yet I made those same comparisons. When Hayden and Richie and I. Talked about Joker. In our Joker episode. And we were able to to separate that performance from that of Heath Ledger's because it had its own merits and it had enough about that performance to make it stand out alongside Heath Ledger's performance in a different sort of way because Ledger's was a stone cold, well, just a complete psychopath that you couldn't even really... He was
0: was an anarchist, wasn't he? He was just... An
1: anarchist, yes. Whereas Phoenix's was more of a pitiful character who could have definitely easily gone the other way. Because we knew so much about his background, you thought, yeah, you know, he's had, he's had a terrible. You know, he is just someone that's reacting negatively to the way the world is treated. Yeah, him.
0: Yeah, if, if, if he'd had the right people around him, the right help and stuff like that, he would never have ended up being Joker. Agreed, exactly. Yeah. And so it's not to say that everything
1: compares less favourably to Heath Ledger's Joker, because clearly, as evidenced by our Joker episode, we don't think that. But when it comes to this and this performance, it doesn't help with all the fact that I I couldn't help but make comparisons to stuff I've seen from him. But before. again,
0: this is the thing, and this, this is what I'm going back to all the time. And like I say we've had some conversations today with our good friend, the late Jim Connell. Mm-hmm. and you know he loves this film. He thinks it's fantastic. And yeah. it, but for every flaw that I can pick in this film, the same thing keeps coming in my head. You had three hours, mate. Yeah. You know, if this film was if this film's a ninety minute film. I can almost give you a pass, but when you've got a three-hour runtime, I shouldn't be left wanting for anything. Well, let's put a pin in that because
1: I think a lot of the runtime is dedicated to certain things, which yeah. I think like, we'll come to in a bit. But before we move on to those issues, let's talk about the score by Michael Giacchino. Now, people seem to have gone pretty wild with their praise for the main Batman theme that Giacchino <sighs> has come yeah. up with, but, but as I said to you, Neil, last night, to me, it's just the opening few notes of John Williams's Imperial March from The Empire Strikes Back, repeated
0: over and over. Well, it, 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 even, it even worked with the, with the sort of introduction of Batman was comparable to the introduction of Darth Vader. Yeah. When he just came out well, of a doorway in the, in the darkness. Yeah. And beat now, the when you compare
1: someone. it, right, to Hans Zimmer's score for The Dark Knight, which has to rank as one of the most fitting, uh, unique and like memorable scores of recent years. Certainly when you consider the Joker's music from that film, this score just doesn't have that same hook for me. That said, I will say that it certainly didn't grate on me in the same way that some of Zimmer's other scores do, and I'm looking at you and Distalla. Yeah. (laughs) But you know the way some people are going, oh yeah, the Batman theme is incredible. It's been in my head all day. It's like it's it's literally four notes.
0: Yeah, and like you say, it's literally four notes that I've I've heard before. Yeah. Yeah. I'm quite frequently and quite famously heard before. Yeah. And like like well. We both said the same thing when we came out, didn't we? It's like,
1: you're teasing me. Give me the rest of the Imperial March. You know? Yeah,
0: and yeah. I, I know we're... Well, with our assessment of the film in, in, in general, but definitely with this subject, with this factor we're really in the minority here because everything I have seen today, because I stayed away totally from social media prior yeah. to seeing it, but yeah. everything I've seen today, unanimously, everyone has gone on about greatest scores. Yeah. Like yeah. I really can't understand it. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's a bad score. Far no, from it. Not, it's not. But it's not, it's not something that I'm instantly going, right, and go on Spotify for that. Agreed, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Right, so let's discuss.
1: Right, I know we've kind of skipped ahead because we've mentioned Paul Dano and the fact you've got some issues with him. Let's discuss some of the things that we might not have liked as much as the cinematography and the action and, and some of the direction. Let's go for the main one, Neil. <laughs> yeah. Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne and obviously Batman.
0: I think as Batman, <laughs> all jokes aside, both three, four years ago, I dressed up as Batman for a fancy dress party. And I thought I look pretty cool as Batman. Actually, I'm mean, you know six foot four guy or whatever, I got you know that, that big build. I looked, I I was like, oh, I've, you know, I think given a chance, I could play Batman. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think if I could set my belly in, I'd have to wear the, Ad- <laughs> I'd have to wear the Adam, I'd have to wear the Adam West corset, obviously. <laughs> but uh, I think it's easy to look cool as Batman if you've got yeah. the right outfit on and you're yeah. shot. Yeah. If it's right, tailor made for you, yeah, yeah, you know, and you've got the the muscles built in where they're supposed to be muscles and stuff like that. It's kind of cool to look, you know, it's kind of easy to look cool as Batman. Of course. He, to a degree, his version of Batman, I preferred to Christian Bale's because he didn't have the sort of, swear to me voice. Oh, yeah. 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 And it, it seemed a more sort of practical Batman, even down to the sort of boots he was wearing and stuff like that. It seemed, mm. you know, I genuinely believe that you could fight wearing that outfit. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah. As, as Batman, I didn't have any issues at all with him. In fact, I thought you know he did a bit of sort of good Robocop acting there, where the sort of like the the, the the upper lip fits well in the mask. You know, he, yeah. he suited the he suited the Batman part. He did. As, one which, thing, I will say, Neil,
1: that I didn't like about him as Batman. I thought about this today. It was done as such a kind of small element of his character. But if they'd gone any further with it, I right, think would have pushed it into parody, and that's when. He comes out onto the sort of the side of the of the building, the balcony, and he kind of stops and he goes, "Whoa!" Kind of like as if he's scared of heights. Yeah, what was that? And about? That is, that's clearly what he was getting across. And people could say, "Well, that was just a throwaway thing." I, but I'm thinking, yeah. But if you'd gone any further with it, you would have pushed it literally into parody, and it's quite clearly showing that this Batman has got a fear of heights or is certainly not as fearless as the Batman we've seen before. And to me. That didn't fit it at all because... No, two two years into doing what he's doing... Right? If, if this was Batman night one... Where he's gone out for the first night... That would make perfect sense. and right, It's just human nature that you're going to be thinking... Holy shit, what have I got myself into? But two years into doing this... When he's already got the equipment built into his suit... And
0: he's got the flight suit... Having, met, had, to react like having that. met people on rooftops for every time, exactly. every time the signal goes on. It seemed quite a strange choice because I can kind of understand this sort of Batman version we're seeing now is the younger version yeah. You know, we sort of got a glimpse of in Batman Begins but not to the same degree. Uh, I can kind of understand that and I can kind of understand the fact of but the, the way it was being sold was this version of Batman doesn't care if he lives or dies. Well, clearly that's not the case if he's if he's scared of heights. I don't. Yeah, it just seems like a really sort of strange choice to the serious tone that they were trying to put across as his version of Batman to mm. then just put a little jokey bit in it. I was like, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. I don't understand what they're doing there. No. Perhaps I was going to say perhaps there was something lost in ed- you know, on the editing room floor. But I'll be honest with you, I don't think there was an editing room for this film. So I don't know if that's the case. Like, but uh, yeah, very strange choice. Yeah. Okay, then well, let's, let's
1: move on then to, I think, the bit where we're going to be most critical is Robert Patterson as Bruce Wayne.
0: Do you know, the thing is with Batman, he was playing Batman as sort of stoic and sort of almost vacant, like dead behind the eyes. Yeah. And like that worked for me, but it didn't work for me when he's being Bruce Wayne. That's right. He's doing the same as Bruce Wayne. He's exactly the same now. Again, like you say, we've had you know a couple of conversations with Jim earlier, and you know, some of the stuff I've seen as well today where people are saying, You have to understand, this is not he hasn't got to the stage of being played by Bruce Wayne yet, he hasn't got to that Mm -hmm. stage. I perfectly understand that, but by the same token, if you'd said to me at that funeral scene. Batman's here, which one is he? I'd have gone, that miserable-looking bastard over there. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's like as if they've almost purposely dissolved
1: the barrier between Batman and Bruce Wayne as an alter ego. And I, I can't see what they're looking to achieve by doing that because it, it's in Bruce Wayne's benefit to keep his Batman persona a secret from people. It's
0: chalk and cheese, isn't it? It's, it's it is. It's literally to the point of Batman could be anyone except Bruce Wayne. That's right. That's how that's how Batman basically keeps his keeps his identity secret, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, especially
1: when he's seen as like some thuggish vigilante, to then think that he's a, you know, a billionaire playboy, people are not going to buy those two things. Now,
0: if you're the reclusive, moody-looking emo in the mm-hmm. corner of the room whose parents got killed twenty years ago today, yeah, I could sort of tie in though. Well, th- this vigilante dude might be him. Yeah, that's the whole, and he seemed to have missed that aspect of you know the Bruce Wayne Batman dynamic. Is like you say, it's like Batman could be anyone except for that fucking Joker across, the, <laughs> across the I was say Joker, <laughs> instead of that moron across the room, like <laughs> you know. And that's that's but that's that is that is the strength of Batman, yeah. basically, and that's the strength of Bruce Wayne is he's will he's willing to ridicule himself to make himself a mockery so people would not associate him at all with Batman. Let's talk about, then, the, the other
1: villains that we've not talk, spoken about. It's John Taturo as Carmine Falcone. And, pff, unbelievably, Colin Farrell as Penguin.
0: Taturo, I thought, did a, you know, like I say, as I would say, with most, of you know, 99% of the cast here, did a, you know, a, a good enough job for me. I mean, Turturro, he, he played it quite menacing. He, he didn't go over the top. He didn't chew the scenery. thought he fitted in brilliantly, to be honest. But Colin Farrell as the Penguin... I mean, initially, when they were sort of announcing all the people like Dano yeah, and Patterson and stuff, like Kravitz, and when I said Colin Farrell as the penguin, I thought, God, they're really going in a different direction now. Like, you know, yeah. to have, you know, because the penguin has always got that sort of like, I know you've got sort of Burton, sort of grotesque thing, and then you've got sort of Burgess Meredith, sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, again, sort of almost caricature comic book looking penguin. But yeah. the penguin has never really been sort of smooth character, if you like. And I thought I could see Farrell being a sort of like a wise guy gangster you know and stuff like mm-hmm. that to get him in i mean basically i know it's a cliche but if you hadn't told me that was colin farrell i would have never guess that was colin farrell
1: i wouldn't even guess it was him from the voice
0: no i mean he's definitely challenged his uh inner sort of pacino oh 100 but yeah. again you know it works like,
1: but even right pacino and dick tracy under all our makeup is still pacino this is this was just something else entirely.
0: Yeah, well, you see, that's quite, quite a good comparison there. Because, like, you know, was Pacino and Dick Tracy is almost playing a caricature of Pacino or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or every film that Pacino's done since 2010. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> 1995. Yeah, let's yeah, just start. I'm just convinced at the end of Heat they both died. It makes, it makes life a lot easier for me. <laughs> he was doing sort of straight Pacino. But it never, it never came across as you know a sort of. Um, no, I'm not say that much. It was a ripoff of Pacino. It came across as like, my God, he's really got into character for this. And I would say out of all of the cast, for me, Farrell is the one where I was like, wow.
1: <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. I know he's assisted by layers of makeup, but the fact that a character still came through, I never thought I was looking at anything other than a guy with some prosthetic scars upon his
0: face. Yeah, he didn't he didn't at all look like like you say he didn't at all look like guy in a fat suit. No. And the thing is with Farrell, we have to remember with Farrell, if you go back sort of like well, it's probably twenty years ago now. I was gonna say ten years ago, but if you go back like sort of twenty years ago, Farrell was a hot property. I mean when he was doing things like Tigerland and stuff like that. He's you know oh, hell yeah. you know, he's a he's a fucking good actor like. Oh, and yeah. it just seemed like his career sort of lost its way a little bit. I know he's a I think his personality plays into a lot of his outside. Hey, life. look and look, Neil. As much as it had its problems, don't say to, don't we- say total recall. <laughs> no, no, no. One of
1: one of the weak points of True Detective season two was not Colin Farrell because he was absolutely superb in that series. I'll, yeah. I'll
0: still stand by defending season two of True Detective to be honest. Mm. I, I still think it's um, you know all right. It's not as good as the first season, what but is. but yeah. What is you know yeah. you know and uh, the second season of True Detective, like you say, but well both him and Vaughn, To be honest, I think came in for um, the amount of flack they came in for. I just didn't see it. And especially Farrell.
1: 100%. Yeah. So if we're staying on things that we didn't like about Neil, I've got to go back to... Obviously, I said that the plot held together with exceptions. Let's talk, Neil, about the carpet fitting tool. So in the last act, right, when Batman goes back to Riddler's apartment, which is now a police-maintained crime scene, we, the audience, are led to believe that the Riddler wanted Batman to find the murder weapon and to make the link to the map that he'd hidden underneath the carpet which explained his final grand plan for Gotham yet that was wholly reliant on the cop guarding the scene recognizing it as being a carpet fitting tool as he had a relative who was a carpet fitter and this relative had in some very fitting bit of coincidence told the cop what the tool was for really (laughs) Yeah, is that how desperate the writers, right, Matt Reeves and Peter Craig, are to tie this, up until this point, fairly coherent plot together? Now, as you know, Neil, I am not always the best at picking apart a film's plot holes, for example, or, or, or examples of lazy writing on first viewing. But this one literally stuck out like a severed thumb.
0: Quite ironically, because there was a severed thumb isn't there. Yeah, it just seems strange. Like you say, go back to the severed thumb. When they were doing the sort of the earlier riddles, when he was reading it from like the sort of birthday cards and stuff, like that, I thought, well, these are quite easy to work out. It didn't seem to have the sort of impetus of a, a, an evil genius behind it. But there yeah. was always like a twist, wasn't it? Like you say, like the seventh thumb turned out to be like, you know, uh, a thumb drive, which would then yeah. be, you know, because it's in the car, there's a USB stick in the car and stuff like that. I was, you know, thinking this is really well thought out. they put a lot of thought into this. The ratter, the ratter, or whatever they were saying, it, it just basically just spelled out URL, didn't it? You know, and stuff yeah. like that. So he was like, go on the internet and stuff like that. And it was like, he was like almost overcomplicating things, Batman and, and Gordon. They were almost over mm-hmm. things and thinking about things too hard. It was like the Riddler was having a laugh at him.
1: Yeah, because it was like some of the clues were, look, you, you just need to think of this in terms of phonetically. Just,
0: just literally, just just, yeah. just take this literally. Be You're giving me far more credit. You're looking at this too deeply. And I like that sort of aspect. It was almost as if he was toying with them. Yeah, And again, to tie to with someone with something so simplistic means there is a degree of sort of evil genius behind it. Yeah, yeah. The, the cap didn't fit into all. No, that's, that's, that's not, not going to work, mate. No. <laughs> it didn't work at all. You know. And it was like you say, it was one of those things I'm the same as well. Sometimes, you know, you and I'll come out of the cinema and one of us will come up with saying, and I'll like you'll say to me, Oh, well, that wouldn't have happened or and I'll go, Oh fuck, I didn't even notice that Yeah <laughs> Or vice versa. With that I think straight away I think I think the whole cinema grown to that bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: It's like well, yeah, when, when a character is put there purely right to give oh, I'm now going to dish out some exposition to you because it seems as if the writers are at a, at a bit of an impasse and don't know where and to go with the story. And it
0: wasn't even, I was a carpet fitter before I was a cop. Would have been no. far more believable. My uncle was a carpet fitter. Well, my uncle my uncle was a scaffolder, but if you show me some scaffolding tool, the one a wrench or a socket, I wouldn't bloody know what it was.
1: Yeah, but in, <laughs> in everyday life, Neil, if you come across something that's not an everyday common or garden item... And you identify it, do you then have to go into the backstory as to how you know what it is? No, you no, don't, do you? No, literally. No. Yeah. And when you do, it just, it just literally, it's like signposting clumsy writing. Uh, fl- you know, flipping back on ourselves and going back to one of the things I did like about the plot, and this is something that wasn't openly apparent to me at the time, there's something that I-, I thought about as time has gone on after seeing it. I did like the ending where instead of the inexplicable kind of finale to the dark knight where batman has to take the blame for joker and harvey dent's actions instead of blaming the joker who was the one who orchestrated it all
0: yeah i've never really under- never really understood that <laughs> yeah i never understood that
1: but here we've got like a more optimistic ending where batman realizes that instead of being like this tool for vengeance he should be like a beacon of hope for the people of gotham and having had some time to consider this i actually i actually like this a hell of a lot more than the ending to the dark knight and also the ambiguity of the ending to the dark knight rises where it could be seen that batman has sacrificed himself if we interpret the coda with with alfred as just some sort of wishful fulfillment dream because after all how the hell could he've escaped that nuclear blast and i thought if he is going to die after everything he's done sacrificed his body his life and everything for gotham you know if that's his thanks for it Whereas this one being a lot more positive, upbeat, and optimistic, in the, in the damn cynical times that we're living in, I actually thought, you know what, that's actually one thing this film does get right, and I don't think it's something I immediately identified when we saw the film, and it's something that I've thought about literally in the last couple of hours
0: prepping for this episode. Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely the right way to go, and I think it's, so. It's a, it's a great payoff to. It's quite strange with Batman because with Batman they sort of play Batman one or two ways, do they? they ever play Batman as he's the hero of Gotham or yeah. they play him as he's the almost the villain of Gotham. Like it was like, oh, we don't need vigilantes on the street and stuff like that. And you had a little degree of that with this and you had like some of the cops sort of saying like, you know, what's he doing at this crime scene? He shouldn't be here and stuff like that. But they still allowed him to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a sort of happy medium. And like you say, it was great then to have the ending where people were sort of like yeah, we need we need this guy. Like you
1: know, and yeah, I like I, I like the, I like the fact that essentially off on her own thing, but didn't write her off on future the the, the chances of coming back in a future film.
0: I think you're looking. I think you're looking at a trilogy of these films. Yeah, you? yeah. And, and she could come
1: back at any point now, which is great because I I, I, I like the character. It kept Penguin in the picture, but one of the things towards the end, Neil, that I think I don't know how you feel about this, but putting the Joker in it, and it, it's quite obviously the Joker. Although well, in that, the credits I think I think he's called unnamed Arkham Patient or something like that.
0: Yeah, but if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna do that, just show his eyes. They actually show they actually showed the grin. you could see the scar on his face,
1: it's Barry Kohan who was brought in last minute, or announced last minute to play him.
0: He's the go to guy now for substandard superhero films. But and
1: I just think it was unnecessary and I think you know, you have given us enough and certainly and judging on the, the popular opinion on this film in general, I think you've given other people a hell of a lot. You didn't need to set up the next film here.
0: Well, I don't know if they were setting it up or whether they were trying to imply that Batman and Joker had already crossed paths, perhaps, and he put him in yeah. Arkham. Because yeah. it was the other thing as well, when he was doing the fight at the end. Yeah. And to begin with, I was thinking, oh, is that like some sort of adrenaline shot he gave himself? So now... Nah, but yeah. I, you know, but then I was thinking, is that the, the venom that Bane uses? Because he he sort of took it and he went into like berserker mode, didn't
1: he? Yeah, it, it looked like it was like a shot of adrenaline. Because I thought it, it was, was
0: adrenaline. adrenaline, but then he yeah. carried he carried on. Then and it was like it went a little bit. He went a little bit too far, as if he was like, I say he was almost like as if he had a bit of road rage or something, you know. And I was thinking, well, are they sort of implying that he's already sort of come into contact with Bane? I mean, with a Joker sort of aspect. I'll be honest, completely honest with you. I don't want to see another Joker now. I mean, we've we, hmm. we've had Leto's Joker come back for the 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 Snyder Cut. Didn't really add much to what he'd done before. I can understand that there was, by all accounts. I mean, depend on who you believe. There's like an hour's worth of Joker, brilliant Joker performance from Leto. Mm-hmm. that was cut out of Suicide Squad. I'll take that with a pinch of salt. I didn't see anything really yeah, but yeah, that yeah. made me think, you know, that, that sure. he could do this, but. You know, we've we've had Joaquin Phoenix do the, do the Joker. I mean, if you'd asked me before those films had come out, do you ever want to see another Joker after Heath Ledger? I'd have said no. So mm-hmm. I don't really want to see Barry Kahn come in as the Joker now. Whether no. it was just a little nod that perhaps he was the Batman's first sort of major foe, I don't know. But then for me, that doesn't work in the same respect. that For me, once Batman takes on Joker and wins, that's when he becomes Batman. Of course, and that doesn't fit in with the Batman that I was seeing now. So, perhaps no, that's right. It, you know, but again, with Joker. I mean, he's an unhinged individual. I mean, it's quite conceivable that he'd be in Arkham Asylum before he became the Joker. Uh-huh. But it, that doesn't work. And like I say, there was that sort of like sort of clownish gang, wasn't it? you know, where they were like almost like the Joker's disciples that you see in the animated stuff. And you know, the, the, they had their faces painted and stuff like that. And the one kid had a, half his face painted as if he was like willing to go through some sort of initiation and stuff like that. And yeah. it's something that you and I have often discussed with Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is we don't think that he's the Joker. We think that he's the inspiration behind yeah. the Joker, like someone takes on his mantle, if you like.
1: Yeah, because c- clearly he had his fifteen minutes, didn't he? Yeah, uh, it, it it left a mark on Gotham. It's something that would have been remembered.
0: It'd literally, just be the equivalent, wouldn't it, of someone like you know, just literally, I don't know, cribbing onto some sort of like you know, like a almost like a copycat killer, yeah, Or something like yeah. that, you know, yeah. That'd work, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I don't know that he can. I was just like, he doesn't need to be there.
1: And I think, Neil, realistically, right, Let's let's just say as it is, I think by that point, I'm not saying you and I were maybe in the best frame of mind at the time, I know we were both tired going into it, but at the three-hour point, I was quite ready for that film to wrap itself up quite nicely, and I did not need that little bit.
0: No, and I mean there are rumors that there's a scene filmed with Batman and the Joker almost having like a sort of sort of Silence of the Lambs esque type conversation. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that to me that implies if that if that is true that our scene was filmed, that mm. implies that Batman's already encountered the Joker and already got him locked up in Arkham Asylum. In
1: which case, Neil, if this is Batman end of year two beginning of year three then i'd happily see a batman year one with him going out on his first night out and and you know that sort of thing because like it's one thing that we didn't see much of is him fighting street level hoodlums we we saw it in one scene but in a three-hour film yeah in in a three-hour film i think we could have had a little bit more of that but like you say this is him he's done this for two whole years now this is a more established more confident batman and he's up in his game but you know if they want to go back and show us how things started off with this Batman, yeah, I'll happily take that because maybe then we can get a bit more Alfred, we can get a bit more of his backstory.
0: Yeah, but you kind of fall in the trap then, don't you? Of like, are you going over all ground with Batman? I know, it's, it's, and we, it's very we don't want to fall into that trap. It's very difficult, prequels. yeah. I was gonna say it's very difficult to do, and that that was one of the things with, with Affleck's version of Batman. I liked that it was a sort of older, more jaded sort of you Know if you like war torn Batman, one he? he'd lost Robin, they were sort of yeah. implied, you know, the other bit of a sort of drinking problem, you know, that he was, you know, he'd seen better days, if you like. Sure. And I kind of like that because for me, that's pretty much all you after the Nolan trilogy, that's pretty much the only direction you can take for me with Batman. Yeah. And I would say when they said they were rebooting Batman, that was, well, why would you go back to the start again? Mm. You know, we've, we've seen it, you know, at, at least
1: though, thank God, Neil. We didn't see a scene of his parents in an alley again, <laughs> you know, with Martha Wayne's pearls being... I was going I I, I to say, I
0: never want to see a pearl necklace again. Yeah.
1: And one thing you'll I have gone back on is how I felt about the portrayal of Martha and Martha and Thomas Wayne is the fact that it doesn't play play them as squeaky clean. And at first I was like, oh, don't besmirch his parents now just because they're rich and, and you're taking an anti-capitalist sort of stance on things. But then I thought, you know what? It actually makes it more realistic that... They are not perfect people because then it gives a different sort of dynamic to the whole motivation of, of Bruce Wayne going out to to get vengeance. And then when he actually finds out that his his parents weren't these sort of idealized versions of themselves.
0: Very sort of soft take. He'd sort of worded up for Coney and had, you know, to sort of rough someone up and then they'd they gone a bit far and, you know, they, yeah, yeah. they actually killed a journalist. But it was quite a strange twist with that, that... The, the Wayne family and the Arkham family were involved, and mm. that Martha, Martha Wayne was originally Martha Arkham, and she yeah. spent a lot of her time in Arkham Asylum and stuff like that. Mm. And I was like, "Oh, that's a strange twist." It didn't seem to be any sort of need to do that. I just it yeah. was a bit weird, like you know. But um yeah, like you say, I mean, you know, everyone's got if you like skeletons in their closets. I mean, no one's an angel. But the way it's always been sort with the Waynes, especially Thomas Wayne that he was this philanthropist, wasn't he? He was this... Yes. And I suppose with Todd Phillips' take on it, it was slightly different, wasn't it? I mean, it was... Oh, he he was a bit of a dick, wasn't he? everyone nowadays if if you're a, if you're a, a, a white middle-aged man who's in a position of power you instantly compared to donald trump and i think that's what mm-hmm. they, i think that's a lot of what they were doing with uh, Tom phillips's version but yeah i mean yeah, yeah i suppose he's not gonna be perfect but it just seemed a strange choice to sort of bring that aspect in and again it didn't really pay off for me in any way
1: yeah yeah it, it kind of ends i, I guess on a, on a more positive note than any Batman film we've seen in a long time, really.
0: Without a shadow of it, though. I think yeah. I think you'd probably have to go back to, like you say, to, to Burton's version, really, yeah. did Yeah. So then, Neil, final thoughts and scores up a 10 for The Batman. I, I came away from this film just not going in with the greatest of expectations, but thinking I'm going to be pleasantly surprised. And in some aspects, I was. But I will say, virtually everything I've read, everything I've seen, everyone I've spoken to, bar you, seems to think that this is an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. And for me, it, I'm not going to say it just falls short. It falls short. It falls, yeah, short. It, it falls short of being a great film. It's a good yeah. film. But it, it's got a few too many flaws, definitely runs on for far too long. Mm. And essentially, I think they had the genesis there of something that could have been absolutely fantastic and somewhere along the line, whether it's... And I'm going to say this, because it's, it's, it's a total reverse of what I usually say, it's almost as if the studio, Leonard directed, do have a little bit too much of a free hand here. Yeah.
1: No, I look, I know, Neil, that there's something wrong with a Batman film when you, of all people, are telling me that there were moments in that film where you were struggling to stay awake. Being the, the huge Batman fan that you are, that tells me that something's wrong.
0: And again, that's nothing to do with the storyline. That's nothing to do with the plot. That's nothing to do with the performances. But there were certain scenes in that film that were like six minutes long that could have easily been four minutes long. Yeah. I like the fact that Batman was doing a bit of detective work. That's great. Yeah. But then, to the same degree, I don't need him to be looking around the room for 45 seconds mm-hmm. with nothing happening. And it, was a f- yeah. it just seemed like, not just that, but there was a few shots where I was just like, okay, where's this going? Other than the yeah. fact that the camera's just lingering there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just needed to be tighter for me. Like I say, if, if, if a film could be six hours. You know, I'd happily sit there and watch it for six hours if I'm engrossed for those six hours. Yeah, sure. There were periods in that film where I was literally just thinking, well, not much is happening here. Mm. And I don't need everything to be bells and whistles and explosions and, you know, flying puppy dogs, but... Hey, look, Neil, if it's engaging dialogue, you know, look how yeah. much of...
1: One of our favourite films, Heat, right? How yeah. much of that film is literally scenes of dialogue? So much of it.
0: Yeah, but you, being interested, you're engrossed. I mean, even yeah. even a sort of procedural stuff that's in there you can see there's a purpose to it. Whereas Longest, exactly. it was almost as if I'll just leave the camera on Patterson's blank expression for 12 <laughs> seconds <laughs> when I could when I could have just left it there for three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I
1: think a lot of that sort of excess adds up, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. And it, it, it got to the point where I was like, to quote my, uh, my, one of my, my one of my film critic heroes, Peter Griffin, I, I was thinking this film is starting to insist upon itself, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I found myself getting frustrated by parts. But I was just thinking, well, other than proving that you have complete control over this film, what are you actually doing?
1: Mm, because it's sort of dipping in terms of the entertainment and yeah. keeping like I, at, at no point when I ever sat through those first two showings of The Dark Knight was I ever thinking, God, I was just would end. Yeah, and I, I looked at my watch when we saw this film at least four times.
0: Yeah, and like I say, it's not to say it's a bad film. Like, you know, me and you have come out of films and I've been venomous, haven't I, about films, you know? Yeah. I've come out like literally like, that's two hours of my fucking life I've never get back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. But with this one, I was just more sort of like, just disappointed by it, a lot of it. I was just thinking, this could have been so much better.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, like, know. I know, you I you weren't like... You weren't even gravely disappointed. You were just,
0: oh, no. uh, you know. Yeah, it was just like sort of like oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, what you do that for?
1: I think you would you were disappointed at how disappointed you were. <laughs> yeah, you you weren't venomous. You were just like oh, do you know, it'd be something if I hated this film, but it's just yeah, it could have been better.
0: You know, that's got to be to to the film's credit in all honesty yeah. that even when I was disappointed, I wasn't angry. You know, I wasn't sort of like, you know, yeah. I wasn't sort of you know, like venomous about it. You know, I was just sort of like oh, well, it's a bit of a letdown. Go on then, give us the
1: bit that uh, Jim Cottle's obviously waiting for. Give us a number. Oh, I'm going to give him a four, because he loves a
0: four. <laughs> he loves a four. <laughs> I'm going to score it the same as he scores Spectre. But <laughs> to be honest, mate, like I say, I'd, I'd love to give it a higher score. First, perhaps I'm wrong and everyone else is right. On second view, it may go up considerably from this. But at the moment, I'm going to score this film a seven out of ten.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, look,
0: there, there were things
1: in this film I really liked. I loved the look of Gotham City. The cinematography was at times, gorgeous. It was it was a mix of stuff we've seen before, but almost perfected, and it was that element of it frequently being rainy, which reminded me of Seven and Blade Runner. Plus, you know, a lot of the times, there was a lot of neon sort of lighting, which also pulled me back to that sort of taxi driver Joker feel. I thought the action of it, as I've said, was really well handled... ...and that car chase was pretty much the highlight of the film. Unfortunately, the lead actor was a big hurdle for me... ...and one which I just couldn't get along with... ...and neither was Paul Dano as Riddler. Now that comes down to personal preference, which I suppose... As opposed to something fundala- fundamentally wrong with the structure, yeah, I completely agree on that. Such such as the plot or direction. It's not the best Batman film I've seen, and there were times leading up to the release of this film with those final two trailers and then the subsequent hype that I thought, you know what, there is a chance that this could be something truly special. And people are talking, you know, people have seen it are saying as if it is that special Batman film, which is literally at the top of the pile. For me, it's just, it's not that film. And if I'm honest, I'm not even saying this, Neil, with any sort of tongue in cheek, I enjoyed the Lego Batman movie more. (laughs) Because that was a film that I went into thinking it's just going to be an annoying kids' film. And my God, the amount of cool Batman references in that film. And actually, a film that was made by someone who genuinely loves Batman of all different kinds. Right. But yeah, it's not a fair comparison at all because one's a. You know, a comedy kids film and this one is obviously a serious film for grown-ups it is a solid film it's really well directed and it's got a great supporting cast it's just unfortunate that for me Patterson is and this is Richie's fears brought to life he is just too emo he is emo yeah. Batman he's brooding and I hate to say it because I don't want to jump on that whole thing of bashing Robert Pattinson because he has in some films been really good Really good. But he is, in this film, as Bruce Wayne especially, painfully one-dimensional. It even comes down to, like we said before we recorded, there's also a lack of cool-looking shit in this film.
0: Yeah, quite strange that, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm making a direct comparison to Nolan's films there because, as I said when I discussed the Dark Knight trilogy with Hayden, that third film is full of problems. But when you've got cool-looking stuff like the, the, the Batwing or whatever it's called... And it's just so well done. It's a CG creation, but it doesn't look... It It looks... It's like Nolan's taking the time to make sure that the effects are absolutely bang on and, and the look of the film. And even though the bit with the um, exploding American football field is a bit
0: nonsensical. But it looks the part, doesn't it? It, it looks that, really good. That's another thing I should have said before you give your score, so I can interrupt you. That's another thing I should have said. I'm all for a more grounded version of Batman or a more grounded version oh, yeah. of any sort of superhero. I'm all for a more realistic take on yeah. a lot of things. But you still have to have a little bit of fantastical to it because at the end, because at the end of the day, it is a comic book film. But no matter which mm-hmm. way you want to look at it, it's a comic book film. Yeah. And I just felt a lot of the time with this that if he'd just been wearing a balaclava and not a cowl, it would have been the same impact. Mm. I didn't yeah, feel. I didn't agreed. feel like I was. Watching a Batman film. In fact, that just coming back to me now, I can remember the first I know, it was Probably in fair capacity, because we got up by the dark. Like I said to you after that. Like at one point during that film, I forgot I was watching a Batman film. I was watching yeah. a crime thriller akin to Heat that just happened to have yeah. Batman and Joker in it. In this yeah. film, I didn't feel at any point that I was watching. A Batman film. I felt as if I was watching a noir type sort of cyberpunk film, if you like, like um that that type of film where it was sort of set in a sort of like noir gothic type cyberpunk type. And if Batman wasn't the main character in this film, I think it'd still be the same. It didn't feel like a Batman mm. film to me. Yeah, it, it to
1: me it felt like a Batman film. It just felt like one that would have been better if he hadn't made some of the creative not creative, but casting choices that he did it. And again, it comes down to personal preference, but the problem for me, and this is going to be my chuck this on the back of the blue <laughs> and this. for me, the problem with the Batman was the yeah, Batman. Yeah,
0: definitely. And like like, like, like we said last night, would you rather have seen the yeah. Ben Affleck solo for and, and unfortunately,
1: it's that one sort of crux that pulls down the rest of the film. Because when the central character doesn't work for you, what what is the rest of it for? Yeah,
0: and like I say, I'm completely open to the fact that we're wrong. <laughs> you know, oh, but yeah. I can only I can only speak honestly in the fact that he doesn't work for me as Batman.
1: Exactly and we can only ever be honest with ourselves Neil when we started this whole thing we always said we're always going to remain honest to ourselves and even if it looks like we are trying to maybe be the cool kids that's going against the popular opinion. If you've listened to
0: us now for 77 episodes you know that's not what we're oh, like. I'd love to go doing this film 10 out of 10 because more people would oh, people people agree with me on Twitter then and more people listen to the next podcast. <laughs> I've, I've
1: made it quite clear, Neil, on, on recent episodes that having been an absolute massive fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I've pretty much hit superhero fatigue now. But I went into this film thinking, yeah, I, I'm not even thinking of the Marvel films now. I just need this to be good. I want this to be good. And I think this is going to be an exceptional film. And it,
0: We would actually say it more the, the, the trailers beforehand. We saw the, the new Doctor Strange trailer. And the pair of us were saying, that oh, actually yeah. looks amazing. And if we'd seen that three, four years ago we wouldn't be yeah, able, able to shut up about it. But now you've, now you've got that thing of, oh, our, our mom Marvel going to fuck this one up then. You know, yeah. Because of the last couple of films, barring Spider-Man, you know, you've, just, you've got that sort of aspect now of like, well, it's just going to be whatever it is, but it's not going to be mm. the old MCU. Again, watching it last night like, on the big screen particularly, I was like, this looks amazing. <laughs> but yeah. I can't get excited. I can't get enthusiastic no. about it, unfortunately, anymore. And it saddens me to say that.
1: And I'll be honest with you, Neil, going into this, I was more excited going into this than I have been going into
0: any Marvel film in the last two years. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And the sad part of that is I wasn't actually that excited to see this. But yeah, I completely agree with you, yeah.
1: And like you then, Neil, because of the flaws, which I just can't ignore, and the fact that one of them for me is an absolutely fundamental flaw, I'm not going to take anything away from the film, the, the, the things that this film does exceptionally well, which it does, and it gives us the best Gotham City I think I've ever seen. I'm going to go with a 7 out of 10.
0: And that's the one thing we have imagined as well, and I repeat myself again, for a film with a three-hour run time, you know if you're going to blow a, a sea-bearing wall at the end of the film, make some references uh, to that sea-bearing wall during uh, those three hours?
1: Right. Please, DC comic book fans out there, please tell me, is, is this something I'm missing? Is Gotham City built several metres under sea level because... That was just something that came completely left from left of field, and I was like,
0: "What?" Yeah, and there was literally no mention of that film of that yeah. aspect of the film until the last the yeah. last twenty seconds of the film. Like, yeah. Usually, I sort of make exceptions for people, you know, with things, and say, "Well, perhaps the studio's got involved and stuff like that." I mean, there was the the, the sort of throwaway white privilege line in there that I thought that came down as a studio note. But oh, I agree. Yeah, with that yeah. one, I was just sort of like. Well, that was the best you could come up with you've you've mm. built up all this you know being fair to matt reese i watched an interview with matt reese a couple weeks ago and he was saying basically when he was doing whatever i can't remember it must have been the last of the apes films warner brothers were sort of pestering him to have a meeting but wouldn't tell him what it was about and then they came to him and said look affleck's pulled out of directing his version of the batman are you interested in directing and he said Initially, I was like, sort of like, oh, I'm of drinking from a poison chalice here with the sort of Snyder cut stuff and stuff like that. You know, you know I, I, it's a no win situation. If I make a great film, the Snyder fans are going to hate me. If I make a bad film, everyone's going to hate me. You know, and he said, he sort of said to Warner Brothers, I've got an idea for a Batman film, but I don't think it'll work in this context. And then, like, two weeks later, they phoned up and said, like, Affleck's completely out. What have you got? And they actually gave him time. They didn't say, well, you know, we need to go to production next week. They sort of gave him mm-hmm. time to go off and develop a story and come back. So it's a labor yeah. of love. And, I, you know, I completely understand. I, I say I like Reeves as a director, but I just think it was almost as if my sort of short experience of trying to write stuff, where I sort of put so much work into the early stuff, and then I'd sort of rush the ending, <laughs> you know, just mm-hmm. to get it done because by now I'm bored of doing it. And it, that sort of aspect to it was like sort of like, well, we've got to end with some sort of big disaster, you know, no one's already done the blowing up bridges and, you know, eat the rich. So what are we going to do? Let's let's, let's flood the town. <laughs> so
1: that's a film 89 verdict for the Batman of 7 mm-hmm. out of 10. But what I will say, Neil, as like a little final coda to our sort of appraisal of this film, don't hold too much on the sort of negative stuff we've said about the film because we have said a lot of positive. And when you're talking about the ending of the film, which is comfortably upbeat, let's look at all the terrible shit that's been going on these last 10 days in certain parts of the world and i think now more than ever this is the right ending for this type of film again it's great to be back in the cinema i think this is the first time you and i Neil, have seen a film together since tenet and it's certainly damn sight better film than that so yeah please if you haven't already seen this film and you are listening to it and have now obviously had everything spoiled for you i do apologize but we did give you the warning fair in advance go and see the batman let us know what you've f- thought about it. Hit us up on social media. Neil, where can people reach you if they want to uh, continue this discussion?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Neil underscore Gaskin. And I've no doubt that everyone's going to tell me I'm wrong. And I've no doubt that in 12, months' time, I could possibly be g- agreeing with you. <laughs> okay, and you can
1: reach me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies. You can email us admin at film89.co.uk. Please, if you've enjoyed this episode and past episodes, give us a positive review on Apple Podcast. It would mean a hell of a lot to us. We've got to say it, but thank you so much for the kind words which are still coming in for an episode. Well, an episode that was two episodes back. Episode 75, our celebration of 45 years of Star Wars, is still getting a hell of a lot of really nice comments about it and, and loads of downloads. So... Myself, Neil, and Richie, and the rest of the gang are really pleased and, and, and humbled by all of the great stuff you're saying about that episode. And also by the fact that no one has violently disagreed with the stuff me and Richie said about the book of Boba Fett in, in episode 76. But yeah, if you could leave us a positive review on Apple Podcast, that'd be great. Uh, I think that's it for now, Neil.
0: We'll be back soon. Save Bad Time, Save Bad Channel. <laughs> you <must> stay classy. <laughs>